It's a divisional crossover edition of the Locked On Florida Panthers podcast. On today's episode, we invite Scotty Bentley and Brian Fisher of Locked On Detroit Red Wings. We're going to discuss how stacked the Red Wings AHL affiliate will be this season. We're also going to talk about how each team's coaching changes will affect the team. And they're going. we're going to talk more about the Matthew Kachuk trade all on today's edition of the Locked On Florida Panthers podcast. Your Locked On Panthers, your daily podcast on the Florida Panthers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome into this crossover edition of the Locked On Florida Panthers podcast and the Locked On Detroit Red Wings podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're your team every day. Thank you for making the Locked On Florida Panthers podcast and Locked On Detroit Red Wings podcast your first listens of the day. For everyone on the Red Wings feed, let me introduce myself. My name is Armando Velez. I am from pantherparkway.com. You can follow me on Twitter at MondoMan12. Follow the show account on Twitter at LO underscore FLA Panthers. And very thankful to be doing yet another crossover, a divisional uh, pre-season crossover with the guys from Locked On Detroit Red Wings, Scotty Bentley and Brian Fisher. What's up, guys? You know, uh, honestly, I'm I'm really pumped. This is a uh, this is a really fun division, and and uh, last year when we talked, you know, had a had a good time then. So a little bit of a new team for us at least. Um, so yeah, it'll be. I'm pumped, man. I'm well, really pumped. Yeah, I'm really excited too. This particularly about this conversation because, like Scotty said, the Red Wings have changed a lot this off season, but the Florida Panthers have seen the departure of quite a few uh, faces on their roster and the addition of one major face to their roster. So I'm excited to talk about that with you as well. Yeah, and and it's it's crazy because you you talk about different changes to to both of these rosters. One that won the President's Trophy and one that was you know. Out, out of the playoffs and all that stuff. And let's talk about the Detroit Red Wings first. And, you know, you add David, David Perron, Dominic Kubalika from the Chicago Blackhawks, former Florida Panther, uh, Ben Sherratt, uh, Billy Husso from the uh, uh, St. Louis Blues, Andrew Kopp, who helped the uh, New York Rangers uh, get to the Eastern Conference final. And a lot of, there's also quite a few players who have been signed to their ELCs recently simon edvinson it, it signed his elc their most recent uh draft pick in um uh, marco casper um even though it's it looks like that he's going to be playing in junior and sebastian coza who was just playing in the in the world juniors for team canada i i we were talking about pre-recording even not only is the nhl team going to be an exciting one in detroit but even in grand rapids for the grand rapids uh griffins that is good that seems to be uh, an AHL team that's going to be an it's going to be an exciting team for that part too. Yeah, one of the guys that um, you didn't mention there was Elmer Soderblom, and he also signed an ELC. He was drafted a couple years ago. He's six foot eight, and he was one of the more notable players for Ferlunda in the SHL this past year. He um, he's going to be playing, making the transition to Grand Rapids. So he's a player a lot of Red Wings fans are going to be keeping an eye on because I believe let me double double check, but I believe he was a sixth round pick for the mm-hmm. Detroit Red Wings and. Red Wings fans after Datsuk and Zetterberg love their diamond in the rough type players. And he was super, super good this last year with Ferlunda and his coach singled him out as one of the best players during uh, the, their uh, Ferlunda's run in the playoffs. He's a big guy 
And when you're that big, you combine that with as good of a stride as he has, which big guys don't typically have, and as good of the hands as he has, he could be a threat. Big reach, soft hands, net front presence. He's going to be something to watch, watch out for. And of course, you have the possibility, if Simon Edmondson doesn't make the NHL roster, that he's going to go to Grand Rapids. He's playing in North America, one way or the other, I believe. So if he's not going to be at the NHL level, he's going to be at the AHL level. You put him down there, and if Jonathan Bergeron doesn't make the NHL roster as well, I mean, that's a lot of high-caliber professional talent, along with Albert Johansson and Donovan Sobrango. I mean, the Grand Rapids Griffins didn't make the playoffs this last year. But if for whatever reason, Simon Edmondson and Bergeron don't make the NHL roster, and you also, you also bring in Elmer Soderblom, that's all of a sudden a very, very dangerous Grand Rapids Griffins team. So they're going to be as exciting to watch this season, I think, as the Red Wings are, but for a different reason. Yeah, I, th- I think there's also just the, like looking at the timeline of the Red Wings of the last, like since Eiserman took over, really, like this was a, a team that when he took it over had a, a very harshly declining NHL product and really no farm system to speak of. And now we, we have turned that around in just, you know, a few years and, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the NHL team for sure as the show goes on and the strides that they're taking. But the farm system is definitely like one of the biggest areas that I circle when when looking over what Eiserman has done well in his tenure so far. And um, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about the, the, the NHL product, but just to be able to completely, honestly, revitalize and, and rejuvenate. Um, uh, an entire farm is unbelievably impressive. And yeah, there, there's a lot of kids to be really excited about. Yeah. And you, I, I don't know. I don't remember the exact question that Steve Eiserman was asked um, this summer when talking about where the Red Wings are in their rebuild. And he said, where I, I believe the answer was where near three of the rebuild, not exactly <laughs> making any promises. Um, last year, yeah. Pierre Dorian got a lot of flack for saying the rebuild is over. I guess uh, I guess Steve Eiserman in that situation kind of saw it as we're in year three. So I, you know, and I was looking at uh, front office confidence rankings uh, based on Dom Luschichin of the Athletic. The Pan- I talked about this on my Friday show about where the Panthers stand. They're seventh in the NHL, and Detroit. I saw that they were third, right behind Tampa Bay and Colorado. Of course, Steve Eiserman does have that track record of what he did in Tampa right before coming back to Detroit, but. He says we're near three, and that just goes based on really been there, done that for him. Well, here in Detroit, we also have a, a very recent uh, example of what could go wrong when you say the rebuild's over with the Detroit Tigers. So, uh, same owner, is, by the way. Same owner owns the Red Wings that owns the Tigers. Yeah, um, yeah. Chris Illich said the rebuild is over going into this catastrophic Tiger season. So we're very aware of uh, of the repercussions of that statement. But Eiserman is hyper aware that the rebuild is never over until it's over. And you don't know the rebuild is over until the team starts producing. He's always been the type of general manager to keep his cards close to his chest. You know, if you were to watch their exit interviews at the end of the season, the amount of things he says without saying anything at all, like he can give you an answer and you'll look over that answer. And you're like, I don't, there's no, no substance here. And that's intentional because he doesn't want to show his hand, which is why, what makes him such a really, such a very good general manager. And I mean, I think when it comes to the confidence ratings, a lot of it has to do with, you know, like you said, his, what he did in Tampa, what he means to Detroit, even before he was general manager, you know, as a player. So there's a little bit, you know, we're careful on our show, too, because we recognize there's a bias there, of course. I mean, 
built a Stanley Cup champion in Tampa, and he was the captain on three Stanley Cup champion teams in Detroit. But everything that he was done, and like Scotty said in, uh, a couple minutes ago, he was given nothing when he came to Detroit. So the bar is kind of low for Iserman, but I'm not using that as like a slight against him. All he had to do was make the make smart draft picks and make smart trades and make the right fly, like taking a flyer on a guy like Robbie Fabry or, you know, he made a ton of other guy, got a ton of other guys who I'm trying a blank on right now that didn't work out, but he didn't lose anything in the process. Like Brendan Perlini, who I mentioned on Friday, he got Brendan Perlini for nothing. So he's okay with taking flyers on guys and if they don't work out, cutting them loose. So while he's made a lot of safe moves up until this free agency where he finally spent I totally agree with the confidence that Red Wings fans give Steve Eiserman because he, while they were safe moves, that's what this team needed in this rebuild is it needed smart, safe moves. The one move that we criticized him over was the Moritz Sider draft pick. And that one, you know, we were all wrong on happily wrong, but we were all wrong on. So like he makes the smart moves. And then when he does go out there and he makes a pick that people are shocked by, he hits it out of the park. So I, I'm not surprised by the confidence rating whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same. We talked about it on, on Friday's show as well, actually. And and it's just uh, a, a, like Brian said, I mean, the, the, the bar is, I, I guess, low for the time being just in the sense of uh, like what people expect out of the NHL product. But um, I, I it's think raising that, this year though, I think for, for sure. sure. A- absolutely. And I also think that, that everyone can just see a direction, which is something that all four of these teams in this city have lacked for like, so long (laughs) so just like having like a clear and plain everybody understands what we're trying to do and where we're headed in the direction we're headed and everything there's a clear game plan uh that's he that he has so far executed very well well that's what i meant too uh when i said like he's making the smart plays it's the direction i mean the biggest problem this team had when he took over was there was no depth and absolutely no defense and no goal. And like one at a time, he's taking care of that. He got Moritz Sider. Next year, he got Lucas Raymond. Then he got Simon Edmondson. Then he got, he traded up and got Sebastian Kosa. He traded for Nedeljkovic and now Huso. So one at a time, when I'm saying he's making these safe plays, it's because he's doing what the team needs to get better. He's addressed all of the biggest depth issues in, and not all at once. And that's a big thing too, is he hasn't eaten up cap space all at once, trying to make the team immediately better. It's, been a process and that's what i mean when i say he's making the safe plays Mm -hmm. and with 40 some odd million dollars in cap space next year to pay dylan larkin uh, again um you get billy huso just because really the cap commitment to jordan bennington in st louis it benefits detroit in that situation as well so lots of flexibility and still lots of draft capital as well continued for the detroit red wings going forward but we're going to transition over to segment number two, where the guys are going to put me um, put me on the spot, ask me some Florida Panthers uh, re- related questions. But first, we have a special announcement from the National Highway Safety Administration. And it can happen so easily. You're out with your friends or coworkers. You're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes too many. It's time to go. And for a moment, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you're a good driver. You live nearby. You can make it home okay. What are the odds you get pulled over? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? You lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, or you kill someone. It only takes one mistake to change your life, or someone else's, forever. Play it safe, and plan ahead and get a ride. Drive sober, or get pulled over. Okay, uh, so the first thing, I mean, the, the most obvious thing to talk about when talking about the Florida Panthers, I think, is you guys, or the Panthers rather, tra- traded away 
uh, Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger, two huge pieces of the Florida Panthers core, which I would have thought was like absolute. No way those guys get traded. Traded them away for Matthew Kachuk, who granted is four years younger than Jonathan Huberto, Huberto rather, and also 100 point score. But and me and Scotty talked about it when it happened. We. I was under the impression that the Panthers really didn't need to make that kind of move, that the only thing the Panthers really lacked going into the playoffs this year was playoff experience. And not only did you trade, you know, the, you traded for a younger hundred point score, which is great, but you also traded away Mackenzie Weger, who's a stud. My question for you, Armando is, do you see this trade as a win? And do you think it makes the Panthers better in the long run? I think for a short term, you're going to take a hit. Um, but with the there's a lot of dead cap on their roster this year, about six million with Keith Yandel's bio and still Scott Darling's um contract from their trade uh with the Carolina Hurricanes is still on on the books right before they signed Sergey Bobrovsky. So there's still a lot of dead cap on their roster. So even before that trade for Matthew Kachuk, the Bill Zito was starting to do a little bit of debt signings, one to two million here. It was gonna be really hard to keep Claude Drew and and Ben Sherratt and Mason Marchment on the roster. So and Mackenzie Weger was always seen as a guy that was going to be a rental this year for the Panthers, and then he was going to eventually walk in free agency. But I, I just think about it like this, about paying Jonathan Huberto an eight-year deal until he's 37, 38 years old versus Kachuk. And I, I thought about it. I thought about this at first. Be, right before the trade, before the trade even happened, I recorded – a whole, whole episode of just his interest in being interested in the Panthers was always going to be a bonus for the Panthers. And I thought that a trade would have cost an Anton Lindell. And that's a, that's a piece that a lot of Florida Panthers fans would be heartbroken if they had to part with, with him. That's Bill Zito's very first draft pick. And, but he's described as a unicorn, um, Matthew Kachuk. And when you have an opportunity to get a player like that, and two two guys who are on expiring deals, it creates right before the, this trade even happened. We I spoke about the Florida Panthers' window being one to two years. This extends it by at least five to six around there. Barkov's locked up for another eight years. Ekblad's contract um, has four three 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 more years on it. Uh, three or four. Uh, I, I'll need to double check on the top of my head, but still. Even with this move of Kachuk and having to pay Spencer Knight next year, it it still creates that cap flexibility for the Panthers um, next year and beyond um, to get even younger and and extend a window. I, I think kind of along this same conversation, there like we were talking about in segment one about our rebuild, and, and while you guys never went through the complete like tear down and like completely bottom out. Like there definitely was uh, a retooling, I, I would say, uh, era, like right after, like right around like 16, 17, right? And it, for a couple of years there, we just kept hearing about like, hey, like the Panthers are going to, uh, like, like they're coming and like they're retooling and like it's going to work out and they're going to jump back in front. And then this past season obviously took a, took a huge step forward um, with, the off season that you guys have had, and, and we just talked about the big trade and everything. What is, I guess, the expectation for this? I mean, you already kind of touched about, you know, immediately you take a hit, but what, what's the expectation this season? And 
in that same breath, like coming out of that retooling era, like how, um, how I guess sustainable do you think it is? Yeah. It's funny because even the last off season for the Panthers, like just about 360 something days ago, when, when they were offering contracts to Sam Reinhart and Sam Bennett, we were looking at this of three to four year contracts of, of each um, person. Nobody was getting an eight year deal. So that every single year you have an opportunity to reset and to retool every single year and that you don't strap yourselves um, to, uh, for too much big cat commitments unless it's a superstar player and only three players remain from the Panthers from their COVID bubble season just a few seasons ago. So that's just crazy how much of a turnaround uh, the the, Pan- the Panthers went through without having to tank a, tank a, a, right. a season or two. So it just goes to show the, the job that Bill Zito has done to create a winner. And e- even before that 2020 season where we were all in pods, basically, um, the the Panthers were seen as a team that was just a bubble playoff team, exceeded expectations, and then a team that was the expectation was at least second or third in the division, e- exceeded expectations once again. So of course, a coaching change is is gonna and a superstar player coming to the mix that's gonna change a few things, and it's gonna hard be hard to replicate 122 points uh, to win the President's Trophy. So. A step back is is got, is going to happen. We 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 all know what it's what it's gonna that it that it's gonna be there. But getting Matthew Kachuk is a guy a net front presence that the Panthers were missing, even though they have one in Sam Reinhart, is because during the during the playoffs they weren't attacking in the middle. They were a lot of their um, their shots were coming from the outside and getting deflected. So something had to be shaken up and. I can only imagine how pissed Bill Zito was after that sweep against Tampa Bay. And it was just, and, and, you know, something had to be shaken up and, you know, getting, getting younger. Um, this is definitely something that could be sustainable. And and they expect, they expect every single night that they're going, they expect to win every single night. I really like the way you summed it up there. As far as the trade goes, the, the, it was a looking forward type move, not a looking at right now, because that does make a lot of sense. If you have extensions, because there were extensions looming for both Uyghur and Huberto. And so you weren't going to be able to keep both. So you flipped two expiring contracts for a guy who's four years younger. Like now I completely get it. Now I completely understand. I guess my follow up to that is you kind of hinted at it there. Uh, Andrew Burnett took over for Joel Quinville and led the Panthers to a president's trophy. And last time we spoke, I asked you if this was because of, or in spite of Andrew Burnett behind the bench. And clearly Bill Zito thought that it was in spite of, cause he went out and got Paul Maurice, who is an experienced head coach, uh, has had some success at the NHL level. Um, I guess I just want to know your thoughts on that because I, after a president's trophy, I mean, I would have thought he had a legitimate shot at staying behind the bench, but they went out there for a guy who was more experienced. I just think that Bill Zito wants to win so badly. I mean, a lot of GMs want to win so badly. It's their job, right? <laughs> it's their job. And I guess I guess it's it's just based on how much he gave up for the during the trade deadline to try to go for it and just seeing how, how they were – 12 wins short Washington and yeah, 12 wins short. And they didn't even look good in the round that they did win. So 
he said, okay, it took a little bit of a while for Andrew Burnett to make his adjustments throughout the postseason, which is ultimately how the Florida Panthers got swept. Yeah, the players on the ice do have to play. They have to um, they have to produce as well. But but with, with a different voice and a guy who's been there, done that for as a guy in Paul Maurice, um, th- this uh, this gives the Panthers a kind of new I- identity. I mean, Tampa Bay, even the year that they won the President's Trophy, they they had to take a little bit of a step back in order to finally win. That was an example that I was talking about for a good week after the Panthers were eliminated. It, as 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 tough as that was to talk about, um, but it, it was just necessary in order for um, for the Panthers to get to where they want to. And I don't really subscribe to the whole. Paul Maurice has the most regulation loss losses in NHL history. You know how you get there by coaching so many years. That's how you get there. So I'm not, I don't really subscribe to the, to that part. Uh, My follow up question to that is uh, you got Mark Stahl on your team this year. I guess it's not really a question, but more of a statement, but take care of him. We, we we really liked him on the Detroit Red Wings. Obviously it was a really weak defensive core, Uh, but you know what? For we we. That was a cap dump trade when the Red Wings acquired him. And uh, he performed above expectations for Red Wings fans enough to get that one-year extension. And this past year, like there are some moments where it's like, oh, man, his age is really showing. But he was he was just such a great locker room presence for that team. He wore the uh, A for the Red Wings. And I just I was really happy to see Mark Stahl get an opportunity with the Florida Panthers because, you know, overall for his age at 35 years old, he played pretty well last year, all things considered, um, especially when you consider the team he was playing on. The Red Wings being the worst defensive team in the league and had the worst goals against per 60. Obviously, him being on defense kind of contributed to that, I'm sure. But I really enjoyed Mark Stahl's presence and his goals above replacement was kind of gnarly. I don't understand how he had such a crazy goals above replacement when his expected was really, really <laughs> negative. But he he produced some good offense for the Red Wings, um, you know, on that bottom pair of minutes this past season. So I, I'm I'm happy he got a shot with you guys. He was I really solid, am. man. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he he was he was like everybody's dad on the team too. Yeah, I was him, so. so fun. That's definitely uh, when solid. I when I worked at LCA, and this is just now it's totally a tangent and an, an anecdote. But when I worked at LCA, his. Uh, wife came through the store and I got to talk to her for a little bit. And I was just like, I'm really glad he's here. Cause he's a lot of fun. And he's, he, she said that he was really happy to be in Detroit because you know, it's night and day with how he's been treated compared to New York. Cause those last couple of years in New York, you know, yeah, we're rough. We're rough. So he's like, she, she was like, he feels welcomed here. And I'm like, good. I like Mark Stahl. And he's like got a nice family, but that's a little I, um, so, totally off topic. I have, I have <laughs> back on topic. I have one more question you, about the Panthers and, um, the I have been a massive uh, Bob fan, Bobrovsky fan, mm. since he was a prospect for the Flyers at like 20 years old. Like I, I, I've I always loved him and, and have followed him his uh, his entire career. And I, I just want to know about honestly, just about the goalie situation, period. I mean, he's had some. Uh, like this past year was was kind of a, a step back in the right direction. He had a really, really solid season this year. Um, but, you know, the two before that were kind of a step back, and he obviously got the massive deal. Like how does the, the contract work into the plans now or maybe the future plans of the Panthers? And, and on top of that, is it um, – like is he just written in as as like goalie one until the contract is over? Like is that pretty much where everything is? I think it's year by year um for 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 the for the contract um because of course 
GMs are going to take calls and they're going to, you know, discuss a few things. And there were, there's reports saying that they were trying to work a trade for Bobrovsky during the trade deadline, but the chances of um, actually succeeding uh, like on a trade were, were very low. So I'm like it moved. That's yeah. like every single deadline because of how big the deal is. Yeah. Yeah. So going into the season, it, the confidence was very low on Bobrovsky, but then, um, but also this trade with Huberto and Uyghur, that the the lack of cap flexibility with Bob having 10 million AAV made made it harder to keep them as well. That's sure. something that a lot of people don't really talk about um, in Florida Panther circles. But with that Kachuk trade, it gives an opportunity to still pay Spencer Knight and still have both of them, even though it's a very expensive goalie tandem. Um, but the goal, but for for the Panthers and the front office, their hope is for Bobrovsky to still start two-thirds of the games or even 75% so that they're when they pay um, Spencer Knight his bridge deal, that it's not as high as a cap hit um, yeah. uh, uh, coming out of that so that it could still be very manageable in case they're still unable to trade Bobrovsky's contract. Because I tell people this, don't hate the player, just hate the cap hit. Because, um, and of course, with goalies, year by year, we, we don't know, we can't predict how he's going to go... go play this season but hey if it's anything like he played this previous season it's a step in the right direction for this team so that leads me to uh my next question is me and scotty kind of already did a atlantic division prediction and where people are going to fall and he and i are both in agreement that the florida panthers despite you know them having maybe a short-term hit points wise we think they're going to be right in the mix for the top three in the division so my question for you would be where do you see the panthers finishing in the division and then the follow-up to that is where do you see the red wings finishing in the division because i want i want to get outside perspective on that well i mean we we at the at the lockdown network had a uh power rankings for at, at the atlantic division um and there was slightly off of what the what the what what the original what the power rankings eventually showed as voted by all the locked on hosts and for for me i had tampa bay number one uh florida two toronto three ottawa four boston five detroit six buffalo seven and montreal eighth that's how that's how i um that's how I uh, ranked it, and I guess, I guess for you guys, um, the the two rebuilds, Detroit and Ottawa, get compared all the time. Um, yeah. at, at least I've been, at least I've been comparing them. They're no, pretty uh, much in lockstep at this point. Yeah. yeah. Who do, I I know I know there might be a little bit of biases because you guys are the hosts of Locked On Red Wings, um, but who do you think has who do you think might have a better direction right now uh, between Detroit and Ottawa? I'm at risk of saying something. Only one team has Steve Eisen at the helm, baby. Well, and the but the other team no longer has an owner that actively interferes in their, you know. Ongoing is because Pierre Dorian that's, has looked a lot more competent floor, now. If that's the expectation, <laughs> the bar is on the floor. So uh, Pierre Dorian's made a lot of smart moves ever since uh, you know the passing of Eugene Melnick, um, and I've been really impressed. Uh, the acquisition of Alex DeBrinket is huge for the Ottawa Senators, and obviously my bias has me scream like, "Oh, I really want them to be better than Ottawa." But I could I could realistically see Ottawa be better than Detroit. Um, 
I don't really, I don't really care if one's better or worse, but it's Ottawa is such a interesting team because there's been several years in a row. We've heard that they're supposed to be better and they haven't really shown it yet, but every year I think that that could be it. So I think for the purposes, I think that the Red Wings and Ottawa centers are probably going to be fighting for fifth, if I'm going to be honest, but I won't spoil the rest of the rankings for the division. I, I won't do that yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that um, th- they do get compared a lot by, by like national media, like everybody, right? Like that's just, they both started their rebuilds around the same time. They both have young cores with like believed to be or already proven really high talent. Um, you know, it, it, it's just, uh, it, it's very easy to point at the two of them and, and, compare the two i i do think that the wings have a lot more flexibility going forward and not that the sends don't um but when you look at the assets i guess is what i'm saying um the 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 assets and the money that the wings have just in the next couple of years is unbelievable And, and i feel like even if Ottawa gets better sooner, long term, I still like what the Wings are doing better. If that makes sense, like I, I, I still, I, I could see a world in which Ottawa, uh, you know, take t- finally takes that big jump that's been talked about uh, for years now with them. But I, I still, I, I will still take ours long term just because of how many draft picks we still have left going in the next couple of years, how much cap we have over the next couple of years. I think that we're in a better position going forward, even though again, that they might get better quicker or might be better than us this season. I I think long-term I'll, I'll still take us. So my question then is we know where Scotty and I fall with the Red Wings. We know where we all fall with the Panthers, but, Real quick, I know we're running up against it, but where do we think that the division's going to shake out in the end? Like, Armando, what do you think? And then Scotty and I will say what we think overall. It's funny because Boston's a wild card for for a, not like literally a wild card. <laughs> I was about to say. Right. Yeah. But based on their injuries of McAvoy and Marshan that, that's going on with them, um, of course, Krejci's back, but he's older. Um, Pergeron's back on a cheaper deal. They can stay afloat for at least the, the first like 10, 20 games. If they can stay afloat, then chances of sneaking in can be a lot easier, um, better for their chances are a lot better. But, and also with Toronto, the goalie situation there with Matt, Matt Murray got and, worse. and, yeah, and, and Sonoff, but and Murray does have a better defense in front of him than, than he did in Ottawa. But I think I, I just see Toronto as that team who's gonna who is going to be this year's version of the Florida Panthers. That team is going to be on a sprint to to want to get home ice advantage. So I actually think I actually think Toronto is going to win the division, uh, even though their goalie situation is a little worse. And I think it's going to be a battle of Florida in round one for the for this year instead of round two for a third year in a row. There's going to be a battle of Florida. Who gets home ice? Uh, I, I don't think Tampa cares um, if they get home ice at this point, but I think that the Florida Panthers are going to finish second. Um, I've been so back and forth with uh, with whether there's going to be five Metropolitan teams um, or, or four and yeah. four. 
the at the Eastern beginning- Conference as a whole is really tough. Yeah, like crazy. Metro and you know the Penguins and the Capitals, even though their windows are closing, they're still very lethal. So they could very much be in the mix. It's there, there, and then now Columbus, the addition of Goudreau, it's it's going to be crazy. The Eastern Conference compared to the Western Conference. Yeah, I could very well see five Metro teams uh, being there. I said that at the beginning of the offseason very confidently, but now it's just like, uh, I, I don't know. The, the Islanders, I, I said at the beginning of the offseason that I think they would be back, but now after missing out on Kadri and Gaudreau, I don't think they're a playoff team this year. Um, so so there could be a different uh, team in the mix this year as well for the, in the Metro. Yeah, I think with the Atlantic division, how it's going to shake out, uh, with the power rankings that came out actually were, I think were reflective of exactly how I voted. Um, but I still see Tampa as the team to beat. They're just the most complete team. Yeah. They don't have a Austin Matthews, but they have everything else. Like their depth is insane. They have fourth liners who would be second liners on most other teams. They're incredible. And of course they still have Andrei Vasilevsky in that who doesn't seem to be getting any worse. Um, after that, I, I think I put Toronto and I think third was Florida because of what we had talked about with the small step back. Fourth, I still have Boston because I every year I say this is the year Boston slides, and then they don't slide. <laughs> so yeah, there's the uh, uh, obvious injuries, but even at what 38, whatever uh, Bergeron's going to be, he's still the best two way forward in hockey. So I think they have enough going for them. I still, you know, obviously they still have Pasternak and uh, Swayman has, was phenomenal last year, as was uh, Olmark. So their goalie tandem solid. I think Boston's still going to lock down that fourth seed, and then I. My bias is coming out here, but I think Detroit with the young prospects that they have playing on the team now, combined with the free agent acquisitions they made, will battle it out, but get fifth from Ottawa. Then sixth will be Ottawa. And then seventh, eighth will be uh, Buffalo and Montreal. Yeah. When, yeah, when Brian and I did this show, we were, we were lockstep the whole way and we were like kind of weirdly disappointed that we were lockstep because we were like, oh, we don't really get to argue about anything. Can't but- argue. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, like I, I, I'm in the same boat. I think, um, I, I think it's very much a, there's the, there's the top three and they're kind of in a class of their own and then Boston, Buffalo, Detroit, uh, well, not even really Buffalo, Boston, Ottawa, and Detroit are kind of uh, in another three where they're going to be battling out for potentially three teams, one playoff spot. Um, and then Buffalo is kind of in its own class, and then Montreal is certainly in its own class at the bottom. Like I, I think that that's pretty like solidified. If I was to put them in tiers, that that would be how yeah. I would do it. I think there's pretty clear drop offs at, at certain points in the division, but that those three in the middle uh, are going to make it really really interesting because, and that's not you know Buffalo is is uh, they're going to be good in a few years, right? That, well that. You know they're still Buffalo, but like there's they should be right. Like they're, they're yeah, should. they should be headed in a right direction if they don't Buffalo it. So uh, that that's not a team that I'm trying to like completely, uh, complete well, completely drag. I guess I kind of did, but you get what I'm saying. Like that that is they still have a decent direction and, and some good players on that team too. So uh, I I think the Atlantic. Um, I don't know like. For my money, it's it's arguably the the best division in hockey. So I, I think it'll be super fun. Yeah, um, yeah. So it, wh- who you you said it best tears uh, when it comes to these three teams. Of course, um, 
with with Boston, we also didn't. I also didn't mention that with that there's a coaching change there with Bruce yep. Cassidy now with Vegas, Jim Montgomery now in Boston. So it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit hard to predict uh, Boston. And I think of it'll course, be good for them. Mm-hmm. And a new a new coach in uh, of course Detroit with uh, it was heavily <laughs> rumored that uh, Steve Eiserman was going um, after one of the assistants for in Tampa Bay. Of course, familiarity definitely helps and. We we spoke about this even last offseason um, about Detroit about it's it, it's an encouraging sign for the the Red Wings to not be in the top five of of the NHL entry draft now now that that they're, they're in this eight to fifteen range now there's still there's still a sense of direction like you guys said even at the beginning of the show so um, I, I I really like the I really like the Detroit Red Wings and what they're building I, I really do. Yeah, there was just so much talk and so much to talk about with the Red Wings. You completely forgot to address the head coaching change, which is, you know, as big of a free agent acquisition as they made this summer. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, just to say it briefly, it's great that they're not, they're out of that bottom five, but you can't f- fall into that like 10 to 15 range. You can't stay there. And I think that's why Eiserman went really hard with coaching and free agent acquisition this offseason because he realized you can't get stuck in that middle ground where you're not in the running for number one overall and you're not in the running for the playoffs because that's how you just become a mediocre team and you don't accomplish anything. So I think that's why he spent as much money as he did this offseason because he's like, if we're already too good to not be a bottom five team, we need to be good enough to make a run at the playoffs. And I think that's really what this whole offseason was done saying is that this is this is the first step forward towards competitiveness, like legitimately since the last time they were in the playoffs, like this, it, even though he never says the rebuild's over, the rebuild's not over. They're even though they're much better, it's, they're competing for a wild card spot at best. But the difference is, is they're competing for a playoff spot. They're not trying to get two or three positions better. They're trying to make a leap of like six or seven positions better. So that's really what matters, and that's why I think that all the acquisitions they made this off season um, are so important. Whether or not it'll work out this first season. Remains to be seen, but I, I love the direction that it's headed. I think I completely agree with every step uh, Eiserman has made. Yeah, and de- definitely it's going to be fun when uh, when these two teams face. I definitely get to see what kind of direction the Detroit Red Wings are going to be last heading. year. So I hope no, it gets it fun, fun this year. Yeah. It wasn't fun the last half of the season. The first half had some fun moments. <laughs> for sure. But guys, I want to thank you guys so much for uh, doing this crossover edition of Locked On Florida Panthers and Locked On Detroit Red Wings. Um, tell my listeners where they can find you guys online. Yeah, me and Scotty, we're waiting for each other to go there. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at uh, Brian. I'm at Brian Fisher, WWJ. And, uh, you know, locked at, at LO underscore Red Wings is the Locked on Red Wings Twitter account. That's uh, where you can find me, us. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm at, uh, what is my at? At Bentley Scotty is my Twitter at. Um, and then, yeah, at LO underscore Red Wings is the show. What about the Tigers one? Oh, at Locked on Tigers. There you go. Yeah. You can do that yep. too if you're, uh, you're into baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And- baseball. And for, uh, like I said last time during our crossover, uh, for any anyone on the Panthers feed who happens to also be a Marlins fan, if you want to hear some Miguel Cabrera talk on Locked On Tigers, you could listen to Scotty Bentley there. And for the Detroit Red Wings listeners, you can follow me on Twitter at Monoman12. Follow the show account on Twitter at LO underscore FLA Panthers. So, guys, thank you so much, and I'll see you uh, sometime this season. Yes, yeah, sir, absolutely. See us a lot. <laughs> and if you like what you're hearing, 
Please subscribe to the podcast to be notified every single time the Lockdown Florida Panthers podcast jumps into your podcast feed. Don't forget to subscribe to Lockdown Fantasy Hockey with Flip Livingstone and Steel Roden, where they'll be covering all the off-season activities around the National Hockey League. Thank you for making the Lockdown Florida Panthers podcast your first listen of the day. And your, for your second listen of the day, make sure to listen to today's episode of Locked On NHL. Locked On experts to give you a daily 30-minute podcast on all things NHL all year long. Stay up to date on everything in the hockey world. Locked On NHL, your daily 30-minute NHL podcast. Sorry about signing off. And you've been listening to Locked On Florida Panthers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Where's your team? Every day.